And it's good to see all of you here today. I hope that uh, God has been good to you this week and leading you and drawing you closer to himself. It's sort of the theme of our sermon series that we're starting today in the Gospel of John. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 14. And how, through the role of the Holy Spirit, what Jesus has done for us on the cross, and the new life that we have in Him, all that God does to deliver us from sin, from chains, from pain, from being lost, being frustrated, all of those things put together, we see all that God desires to do in us through Christ. But the title of the series is called Jesus Misunderstood, because there are some times that we misunderstand the real intention behind what Jesus desires to do. And we kind of repackage him in such a way that is much more uh, worldly, much more attractive, much more interesting in, in terms of what I selfishly want rather than the message of what God really desires to do in our life. And through a series of messages between now till shortly after Resurrection Day as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ on Easter Sunday, we will see the message or hear the message of Jesus and make sure that we understand what it is he's communicating. I know there are several uh, fried food trucks that you'll see at fairs, and we'll have them here on the square, and different foods that you've probably tried from time to time that are a little interesting. A couple of years ago, I heard about a guy named, Chir uh, named Charlie uh, Bosani that decided to fry Kool-Aid. I don't know if you've ever tried fried Kool-Aid. I have not, but he rolls it up in little balls. He has this little uh, mixture, and he rolls it up, and he fries it, and it looks like a hush puppy, but it tastes like Kool-Aid. And he says that this is just the new craze. Now, if, you, if it hasn't caught on yet, just hold on, because summer is coming, and it may be in a food truck coming near you soon. But this is like his newest craze. Now, Charlie does all kinds of fried stuff. If you've ever been to a fair, if you've ever been to some kind of a, a place where there's a food truck, you've probably had some fried Oreos, fried Twinkies. Okay, if you haven't, then you know people who have, because you see these fried concoctions and the grease dripping out of the box as they're cut, as they're, Look, it may not be for you, but it is for some people. Now, this guy will fry Klondike bars, Girl Scout cookies, Twinkies, avocados. Got to draw the line somewhere. And the ultimate, he has a Krispy Kreme chicken sandwich. Two Krispy Kreme donuts, re-deep fried with a... <laughs> this is turning your stomach, I can tell. But this is the point, with a, uh, a fried chicken piece in the middle. Now, here's what Charlie says about all of these creations. And I hear this, and I think, well, he just described the church. He said, I love how frying things makes them crunchy on the outside and good on the inside. I thought, now, that's a pretty spot-on definition of a lot of Christians that I've met. Rough on the outside pretty good on the inside now I'm not pointing fingers I'm not naming names and neither should you but if you know you know 
But he says that it is uh, food, he said food that's not fried cannot compare, and he says we leave all the calories in the oil. Now when you think about being crunchy on the outside and good on the inside, sometimes you might look at a fried ball of Kool-Aid and you think, you know, that just looks gross. But think about the number of foods that you've put in your mouth that looked one way but then tasted another. On the outside, maybe it didn't look appealing. Maybe it just didn't look like this is something that I need to have or this is something that I really crave. But then once you've been into it, you realize, you know, this is a lot better than I expected it to be. You know, one of the things we learn about Jesus through the role of the Holy Spirit is we are all rough on the outside. We all have our faults, our failures, our shortcomings. We all appear to the world as though we are a group of people that do not deserve Jesus. That's part of being a member of the family of God. That's part of being born again. None of us deserve what Jesus has done. But yet, once the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, we may still appear a little rough on the outside, we may still have our rough edges that God is working through, but now our inside has changed. And now we are radically new and different on the inside. Friend, the whole message of what Jesus desired to teach before his death, burial, and resurrection is this. Regardless of who you are, regardless of how you look, and even regardless of how you act, if you realize today that you are rough on the outside, that you are pitiful on the inside, that you are desperately lost without a relationship with God, then Jesus Christ promises you through the power of His own Spirit that you can be made new. And that's part of why we are calling you to think about who is one person in my life who is both rough on the outside and rough on the inside. And how can I show them that I didn't change myself? I didn't just decide one day to be a better person. I realized one day through the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that I am desperately lost without Jesus. And it was not my ability to change me. It was God's ability to change me from the inside. And maybe there's that one person in your life that you can be a witness to to say, look, you can come to the Lord with all of your faults and failures and all of your crunchiness on the outside, but trust that He's going to change you on the inside. That's the message that we see, which is why the title of the sermon today is We Need All the Help We Can Get. And all God's people said, Amen. We all need all the help we can get. And in John chapter 14, I want you to notice how Jesus promises and teaches us about the role of the Holy Spirit. If you'll notice beginning in verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now this little section of scripture that I just read to you is the first truth that I want you to embrace. When you said amen just a moment ago, when you know that we all need all the help we can get, there are three ways that you can receive help from God. 
And the first one is, the Bible teaches us from that section, that we need to receive help with who we know. You see, we are well acquainted with who we are. We know who we are on the inside. We may give an appearance on the outside that life is great. Somebody may ask you on the street, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I'm wonderful. I'm great. And you know that you are an absolute train wreck on the inside. But here's what the Bible teaches us about ourselves. And this is that Jesus promises, and a message we cannot miss, he promises that he is sending one who will know you better than you know yourself. Notice again what he says in verse 15. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And when you hear these words, you think, okay, this is Jesus saying this. This is God in the flesh. He's looking at the faces of his disciples who he called these three and a half years before. And he's telling them, essentially, that if you love me, you're going to do what I command you to do. But to enable you to be successful at that obedience, I'm going to give you a helper. I'm going to give you someone who's going to step into your life and going to change you forever. Now, so far, the disciples really didn't understand, so this is a part of being misunderstood. But Jesus is going to clarify here, and then on in chapter 16, he speaks yet again about the role of the Holy Spirit. But if you were to go back to the book of Genesis and just kind of do a trail of times that God is involved with his people, you see how God speaks to this person. You see how God leads his people out of Egypt through the Exodus with the pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud during the day. You see how he parts the Red Sea and enables God's people to march across on dry land. But then you begin to notice, but yet God speaks to certain people a little differently than he speaks to everyone. He calls Moses to go up on top of the mountain, and he has a personal conversation with Moses. And all the people are down at the bottom of the mountain just kind of trembling and watching this happen, thinking, gee, I wish that I could hear the voice of God. I wish that I could be in the presence of God and hear what he's saying. You have certain prophets in the Old Testament where God says, this is what I want you to tell the people. I'm communicating this to you. And I'm sure there are people in, in the Old Testament that said, I wish that I was a prophet. I wish that God would speak directly to me. I wish I could hear the voice of God. And then, in a manger in Bethlehem, the whole world changed. Because now God has come in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, now He's sitting on mountains teaching. He's going from town to town. He's face to face with sinners. He's touching people that need healing. And they're hearing and seeing the presence of God. But now Jesus says something mind-blowing. He says, now this is the Randy Revised Version. He said, boys, i got to get out of here. I'm not going to be here much longer, but I'm going to promise you something. The person that I am sending to you is, as Jesus said, another helper. Now, the word another means similar in kind. 
But the Greek word for helper literally means an advocate, a teacher, a mediator between you and God. And he says, this Spirit is going to be in you. Now, all of a sudden, since the moment that God spoke the universe into existence, now, at the moment that the Holy Spirit is sent to the world, that day of Pentecost, when Peter is standing up there preaching and Jesus has already ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit came in that upper room and whoosh came in and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is now working and, and, and Peter's preaching and people are getting saved. Now the message of Jesus is understood. I could almost see the disciples going, oh, that's what he meant. Because in verse 17 he says, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Friend, think of it this way. As amazing as it is to, or was, to hear the voice of God on top of a mountain. As amazing as it was for the high priest in the Old Testament to step into the Holy of Holies and to see and to sense the presence of God in that place. As awesome as it would have been to have sat at the feet of Jesus and to listen to Him teach, Jesus says, I'm going to one-up everything that you've ever seen. I'm going to blow your minds. Because not only is God going to communicate with every single one of you, He is going to be within you. Do you know that you have the greatest blessing due to the manner and the course of time in which you were born? You were born in the time of the life of human history where God says through His covenant relationship, you're not going to know about me. You're not just going to hear about me. I'm going to live within you. What a blessing. Every trial that you face, every moment of frustration, every question mark that goes through your brain, every time that you get frustrated, every time that you feel alone, every time that something goes wrong, the presence of God is always there. Jesus says, it's good for me to go away. To do what I have come to do. To die on the cross. To be placed in a borrowed tomb. To be resurrected on the third day. But to ascend to heaven so that I can send you the blessing of heaven and live within you personally. I know that we're all struggling with gas prices. Especially if you drive for a living. I go down the interstate and I see those two prices, one in red, one in green. And I think to myself, man, I'm glad I'm not a truck driver. Wow, the prices of diesel and the prices of gas, we're all struggling. But I got a solution for you. For just $2,000, you can be like this guy in, uh, in, in Falls City, Massachusetts. I saw his picture the other day. He rides on an electric unicycle. <laughs> so not only is it gas efficient, you look. Cool. But he's on this, he's strapped on his ankles, or strapped on basically to an electric wheel, and he just kind of leans forward like one of those little, um, 
whatever those things were that you kind of leaned into. I don't remember the name of those. But it's that just in a wheel. He can go 80 miles on one charge, and he can go up to 40 miles an hour. He doesn't have to be on the roads. Legally, he can be on the sidewalk. He said he gets to work in no time because he can be on the sidewalks and zip through places that his car couldn't go, and it only cost him $2,000. Now, I can't say that I see this catching on in Columbia, Kentucky. I, uh, people struggle enough driving around the square, let alone having somebody on a, uh, an electric unicycle. But it would be hilarious to see somebody on a unicycle run into one of those yield signs and knock it down. That I would pay to see. But it may not catch on, but he says, and the guy that uh, talked about this, he said, it is the future. He said, in 10 or 20 years, I'm sure I won't even have to bring it up. He says, it is more convenient, and it's obviously more fun. But think about the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. You want to sit at the bottom of a mountain and hear God speak? Do you want to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear Him teach? Or... Do you want to have the presence and the power of the very Spirit of Jesus living inside of you every single day, 24-7, no matter where you go? You see, even Jesus and His teaching ministry was somewhat limited to those who could physically hear Him at the time. The mountaintop experience was limited to one person. That name was Moses who went up there to hear but with the presence and the power and the whole of the Holy Spirit, we all have access to the voice of God. And we all need help with who we know. We need to know Him. Listen to what the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption of, as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 1 Corinthians 2.12 Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Then Galatians 3.2 says, Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Friend, if you know Jesus personally, and if you have come to turn from your sin, to confess that sin, and to trust in who Jesus is and what He's done for you, then the Bible says, according to what Jesus taught in John chapter 3, when He spoke to Nicodemus, you are born not just of the water, you are born of the Spirit. And that Spirit comes to live inside of you and be with you no matter what. If you've never turned from your sin, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, if you've never come to that moment where you say, I need Jesus to step into my life and to change me from the inside out, then today is the day to be born again. We all need help with who we know. But then secondly, second step in this journey is once we come to know the Spirit of the living God, once we are born again of the Spirit, then the Bible says that we can receive help with how we obey. Because if you go back to verse 15, it said, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now look at verse 18. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you 
will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now I love this kind of turn of phrase that Jesus does. Because the ultimate goal of belonging to God is our holiness. The ultimate goal of why Jesus died on the cross for our sins is to transform us from the inside out. Listen, one of the biggest lies that has ever infected the church of this age in which we live is the idea that Jesus died to make you happy. To to bless you and to give you and to prosper you and to make you wonderful, the best version of yourself that you've ever been. Friend, when Jesus spoke in John chapter 16, just two short chapters forward, he said that the same spirit that he's speaking of here has come to convict the world of sin. And the first step of us knowing God personally is not becoming happy, it is being aware of how vile and wicked and sinful we are. Now, now that may not fill a church, I'll be honest with you. That may not, you may not uh, beat people away from a church because they can't wait to hear how terrible they are. But you cannot come to Jesus to be changed and to be saved unless you know what you are being changed and saved from. And the first aspect of what the Holy Spirit does in calling us into that relationship is to make us aware of our own sinfulness. And now Jesus says, the second step of that journey is once you are aware of how sinful you are and you are born again and you are transformed, then that love comes and we want to obey the Word of God. You see, if you have a an issue with obedience as a born-again child of God, it's not because you don't understand the Bible. It's not because the preacher doesn't make sense or the Bible study that you attend is foreign language. It's not because the Bible is difficult to understand. It is difficult sometimes for us to obey. Because by our own sinful nature, we don't want to. Which is why we need all the help we can get, right? Yeah, that's, that one is a harder one to amen. Because I, I realize that's why I mean. Knowing Jesus, coming into a relationship, amen, we need all the help we can get. Now the next step is, now, now I need to obey what he says. Well, this is where we all strap in on the struggle bus because we're all there. We all attend the same school where we struggle with being obedient to the Word of God. But notice what Jesus says. This is beautiful. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Then he says in verse 20, In that day you will know me that I am in my Father. You are in me and I in you. Now how does that happen? That day that Jesus is talking about is the day that he ascended to heaven. You will know on that day that I'm no longer present with you. Duh. I am in the Father. But he also says, but you will be in me. Meaning that when we die to our sin, 
and we are born again of the Spirit, now our spiritual destiny is placed in the hands of Jesus. So wherever Jesus is, that's where we belong. I love the idea of that because he taught in, in, in John chapter 14 earlier that he was going to prepare a place for us. And he said these words, where I am, there you will be also. Now we love the idea of that because we can't wait to get to heaven when we die. We can't wait to walk the streets of gold and to see the place that he has prepared. But what about in the meantime? Jesus said, don't worry, don't fret, don't be upset, because even though I'm ascending to heaven to be with the Father, you are still in me. But how do I know? How do I know that I know that I know that I can be obedient to the commands of Jesus even if he is not physically present to stand here and tell me? Jesus said, I will be in you. This is another mind-blowing moment that we cannot misunderstand. The whole purpose of Jesus living within us is to give us something that we do not have on our own. And we're going to get to that. But we cannot misunderstand the message. And I love that Judas, not Iscariot, asked Jesus in verse 22, Lord, how is it that you'll manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Meaning, how can born-again children of God have you within us notice what he says in verse 23 he said if anyone loves me he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him and whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine but the father who sent me what is the randy revised version of that it means very simply if you love your sin and you love yourself you will turn your back on jesus but if you love salvation and being saved from the eternal destiny that your sin deserves, then you will embrace the cross of Jesus, you will cling to what Jesus' promises are, and you will follow in His footsteps because He is not only the Savior, but the Lord of your life. So what's the problem with obedience? The problem is a leadership issue. You see, the steps of Jesus are crystal clear. His teachings all through the Bible, the role of the Holy Spirit, He's not going to tell you something brand new that you're like, hey, I never heard that before. Where is that in the book? Oh, it's not there. It must have been a new thing God wrote yesterday. No, no, no. Everything that the Holy Spirit teaches you, Jesus has already taught. So the idea of us being obedient is, is not a I don't understand issue, it's a leadership issue. I love what John said. Same guy who wrote this gospel. Wrote in 1 John 2.15. And he said, Do not love the world or the things in the world. And then he said, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Let me tell you what your problem is. Same problem I have. It's the same problem that every born-again Christian has. Our problem is not that we love the world too much or the things in the world. Our problem is that we don't love God enough. Because what John just said is, if you love the world, then that means the love of the Father is not in you. 
So if the love of the Father is in me and fills me, then there's no room for me to love the world. So I can be obedient to the Word of God if I love Him and not myself. I can be obedient to everything the Holy Spirit leads me to do if I crowd out of my life a love for myself and a love for things of the world and I embrace the love of God knowing that God is leading me to be holy. Then I can obey. Friend, if you struggle with obedience in your life, if you have moments in your life where sin and temptation comes in and you just feel defeated and you feel as though I can't overcome this or this, this is just too much for me to deal with. It's not that you love the world too much. But you need to go back to the feet of Jesus. You need to go back to say to the Holy Spirit, would you just fill my life in such a way that I am consumed with love for God and His Word and who Jesus is and what the Spirit desires to do and leave no room in my life for the love of the world. And then and only then can we be completely obedient to the Word of God. Again, it's not that we love the world too much. But do we love God enough to be obedient to the commands of Jesus? Again, we need all the help we can get. So what does it all come down to? Well, it all comes down to the third way in which we can receive help. Not only with who we know and how we obey, but ultimately we can all receive help with what we have. And what did Jesus promise to give? Well, look at verse 25 through 27. He said, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, and here are the two promises, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Then the second one is, he said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. These are the two greatest promises. Jesus says, listen, here's what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to come, you're going to be transformed. Your love for me and your love for the Word and your love for obedience for God is just going to grow exponentially and the Holy Spirit is just going to lead you. But here's what He's going to do. He is going to, first of all, remind you of everything that I've taught. You know, the Holy Spirit's a better preacher than your preacher. You needed me to tell you that. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit is a better reminder than a nagging spouse there I said it I don't even care the Holy Spirit is a better reminder than billboards than ads than than apps on your phone listen if you want to be reminded about what God has said rely on the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit because that's his role in your life is to remind you of all things that Jesus has taught we all need reminding we all need that gentle nudge on our shoulder. We all need that, that guidance away from this and toward that. We all need that recall in our brain and that conviction in our heart where we know exactly how we should obey the Word of God. We all need it. But the second promise Jesus said is, I'm going to give you my peace. 
Because, you know, I mentioned just a moment ago that we're all on the struggle bus. We all struggle with being obedient. We all struggle with those times of faithfulness. And Jesus said, listen, I get it. That's why I'm going to give you my peace. You're not going to see me eye to eye, face to face. You're not going to feel my hands. You're not going to be able to wrap your arms around my shoulder. You're not going to be able to literally walk in my footsteps. But the Holy Spirit is going to come and not only remind you of what I've said, but He's going to be the presence that I have been in your life saying to these disciples and friends, we've not seen the face of Jesus face to face, eyeball to eyeball like these men did. We have the same presence of Jesus living within us that they came to know. And thanks be to God that in our worst moments, in our most fearful moments, and in those moments when we doubt the most, we have that reassuring presence of the peace, of the presence of God that will never leave us or forsake us. You want to ask me, if you ever did, what's the greatest promise that God's ever made to His people in His Word? And it is, I will never leave you or forsake you. Because my dear friend, once Jesus steps in, He doesn't go anywhere. Once He comes to live within you, He takes up permanent residence, not a temporary stay. You are a home. You are a house. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You're not a hotel or an apartment. He comes to live within you permanently. You know, I've learned a little bit over uh, the last year or so about falconry from Matt. Uh, he has raised a couple of falcons in his life, and it's a passion of his. And I found out the other day, that in Qatar, if any of you know where that is, it's kind of uh, west of, the, uh, of Dubai. It's a very wealthy part of Saudi Arabia. But in the, city, or in the, uh, the, the main city there in Qatar, they have a hospital where they have all the latest machinery. They have surgeons. They have uh, all kinds of technology with x-rays and MRIs and CAT scans and the whole thing. I mean, you'll hear beeping noises, you'll see scrubs, you'll see uh, surgeons washing their hands, the whole thing. But it's not for people. It's for falcons. There in Qatar, they see 30,000 falcons a year. 150 a day. They have falcons coming in there for nail clippings for heart checkups, for medication, because this hospital was designed to really reach and to really further the practice of hunting with hawks. They described this as uh, the kind of establishment of the hospital, it says, was to support the hobby and the heritage of raising falcons. It's a pastime, it says, that stretches all the way back multiple generations. It says keeping them alive and well is an essential duty. They come in for surgeries, medical tests. They come in for mani-pedis. They do, they do the whole thing. It's a one-stop shop for all things falcons. Now I can tell that Matt's going to get on a plane and he's going to go to Qatar. But the owner of the hospital says this. He says, when one holds on to their bird, it is something else. He says, the love of the bird is extraordinary. 
He went on to say, he said, even the look that a falcon and its owner share, it's different than any other look. He says that falconers feel the loyalty of the bird, a fierce warrior in the wild, and yet a pet in their hand. And you know, if people can spend millions upon millions of dollars to care for falcons, to do surgeries, to do MRIs and CAT scans, even to do mani-pedis. Think about the love and the care and the compassion that God has for you. If this is a human example between a human and a bird, that to some might sound so extreme and to say, look, it's just a hobby. Do we really need a multi-million dollar facility to take care of these falcons? Does God really need to spend the time and the energy and the investment in you? If you're hard and crunchy on the outside and you're a miserable wretch on the inside, why would a perfectly holy God have anything to do with you? Why would He bother speaking to you, loving you, reminding you, giving you peace? Because my dear friend, He loves you more than you'll ever know. He has done so much for you. And the message of Jesus is simply this. I have gone above and beyond to not only reach you and to save you and give you a home in heaven, but to change you every moment of your life and to give you that peace and to never leave you alone. If you've never come to know Jesus personally and turned away from that rough exterior and that miserable interior, then today is the day to turn away from your sin and yourself and to trust in Jesus alone. Friend, if you have made that commitment to Christ, then understand that God takes care of you infinitely better than He even cares for the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the trees that give us oxygen. God cares for you in ways that go above and beyond. And we need all the help we can get. Maybe today somebody here is struggling with receiving the help that comes from God. And maybe there's a little bit too much of you and maybe not nearly enough of the Holy Spirit moving in your life. And today might be the day where you say, God, I want to give you full control of this area of my life. I want to just step away from that. I want to take my hands off of that and I want to give it all to you. Maybe it's your eternal destiny once and for all. Maybe if you've made that decision already, maybe it's a decision that you have to make it work. Maybe it's something going on in your family. Maybe it's a relationship that's not going the way that it should, or maybe you need direction in how that relationship should go. No matter what it is, lay it all at the feet of Jesus. Receive the help from His Holy Spirit and know that He'll never leave you or forsake you. And you can have all the help that you can get. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Our Heavenly Father, how thankful we are that Jesus Christ came to die on a cross for our sins. That He came to take our place and to pay the price that our sins deserve. Father, how thankful we are that the love that You have poured out on us is unconditional and immeasurable. But Father, sometimes we hold on to things that we ought not to have in our hand. Sometimes we turn to things that 
do not have our best interests at heart. Sometimes, Lord, our trust is so much deeper in ourselves than it is in You. And I pray that Your Holy Spirit would speak to the hearts of every single one of us today. God, if there is one that needs to come to know Jesus personally, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Father, if there is one that knows Jesus personally, but they're struggling with some decision, some area of leadership in their life, God, may your Holy Spirit take over today and be crystal clear that apart from Jesus, they can do nothing. Father, we love you, and we're thankful that you love us. And would you speak to our hearts and help us to respond, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.